Indians are getting married later than they ever have. And a result of which, dating for much longer. Consequence? Dating apps are booming, matrimonial websites are seeing a slowdown. The average age of getting married has been steadily increasing over the last 10 years, adding to the horrors of our parents' generation. The rise of dating apps is happening simultaneously along with the rise of dating fatigue, in addition to giving rise to problems such as safety issues, unsolicited pictures, untoward messages, and sometimes even social media stalking. Despite the obvious issues that dating apps pose, one of our guests today, founder of Quack Quack, Indian dating platform, says, We have a total user base of 23 million users out of which we've added almost 10 million users in the last two years. Dating apps have become a successful concept in India. And as more and more people are choosing to remain single in India, another phenomena which is rising is that consumers are moving away from matrimonial websites. In fact, some would say that matrimonial websites are perhaps in their last leg of product life cycle. Our other guest, Meghna Srinivas, founder of Trustin, believes. So I think I was on all the sort of major apps. I definitely think it got very emotionally exhausting for me to spend four frustrating years on them. And I think since last year, I haven't been on a single app. Matchmaking never seems so frustrating and lucrative as a business at the same time. Dating apps have become a successful business model in the country. And these apps have managed to commoditize love in the form of unlimited swipes and matches, which in turn is leading to a very serious dating fatigue. Consumers are swiping slash matching with potential partners more than ever, and yet not finding the elusive forever partner. But they keep coming back to the apps, month after month, year after year. Unlike any other product, what dating apps are essentially selling is hope. And hope is fickle. You are listening to The Morning Brief and I'm your host, Shaburi Das. And this Friday, we will discuss how commoditizing love is leading to a steep rise of dating fatigue among Indian singles. Our guests today are Ravi Mittal, founder Quack Quack, an Indian dating platform, founded in 2010, and Meghna Srinivas, founder, trusted, an organization which enables safe workspaces, and as someone who has used, abandoned, and come back to these apps time and time again. According to Statista, India's online dating market size is expected to become 585 crore rupees or $71 million by 2023. Majority of the online dating platforms presently active here are international companies like Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, and OkCupid. These players have been in the business for decades. These apps, more often than not, allow unlimited swipes or matches, which in turn is leading the users to go through the same initial stages of meeting their potential partners over and over again. This is obviously exhausting. But the entire business model of these apps 
is dependent on one not finding their partner early on i mean at the end of the day if your user finds the one immediately how will the dating app make any money is dating fatigue a deliberate byproduct created by the dating apps let's ask the questions directly to the founder of quack quack and understand the rise of dating apps and consequently dating fatigue in india i wanted to start with the obvious one if you could tell us a little bit about quack quack's business model that would be great over to you so with respect to what's happening in the dating scene in india and again with respect to the dating apps from india see we are we are almost a 12 year old dating company which was born and brought up in india in 2010 and we have a total user base of 23 million users out of which we have added almost 10 million users in the last 2 years so if you see the user base has exploded and we add almost 1 million users every 3 months we get about 28 to 30000 downloads every day we get about 20000 new signups every day so that's the kind of growth we are seeing currently and when it comes to the usage we are seeing that a majority of users these days especially post pandemic are coming from tier 2 cities tier 3 cities small villages and towns of course there are people who sign up from metros but almost 70% of new users are coming from these small cities with respect to metros we seeing that a lot of users want to date offline whereas people from smaller cities are matching pan india and they keeping the relationships online which is very interesting to observe for us as well in terms of gender ratio almost 80% users are male 20% is female however post pandemic if we see the female user base is definitely growing in terms of subscription then again this is also an interesting topic for us because at the end of the day we are a business and you know we have to generate revenue and subscriptions is something which creates 100% of revenue for us but now i think when people are paying for ott apps or for music apps they have also realized that there is a value add on when you pay for subscriptions uh, even for dating apps understood how do you identify your app do you call yourself a serious dating platform what's your usp i think with respect to the usp we cater to people in india with respect to what people need in india if you look at the international dating platforms they function more or less the same with respect to any country if it is the us or the europe or if it is asia they have a very similar way of working you know they match with people within their own radius and i think that thing does it work in india if you look at the people from tier 2 or tier 3 cities if you had to find people from your own radius you'll find very few people and that's the reason why a lot of people match pan india on our app and that's the speciality of being an indian specific app is that we build features where we let our users chat with others online even before they have matched so you don't have to wait for someone to get matched to and then send them a hi and wait for them to you know reply back to you so that way we have tried to indianize our features in such a way that more and more average indian users are comfortable with using a dating app we are also seeing that not only dating per se but people are also coming on dating apps to make new friends so that was an interesting survey we did almost one and a half two years back we asked users what they're looking for on the platform and almost 40 50% of the users said they're looking to make new friends 
And while I cannot tell you that specifically that we are into serious relationships or casual, I think we're somewhere in between where we try to cater to the goals of something close to dating with respect to what singles in India are looking for. I'm sure singles in India are also not very sure as to what they're looking for. So I think we are somewhere in between there. Ravi, could you tell us a little bit about your subscription slaps? Like, what is the pricing like and which subscription model is doing the best for you at this point of time? So in terms of subscriptions, we have three basic tiles, which is one month, six months and 12 months. When it comes to the pricing, we price our subscriptions based on the age group. So we believe that people who are in the age group of 18 to 20 usually are, you know, not well off or you know, they are students basically who have very less money in their pocket. So the price for them starts from $2.99 for one month. Then we have a price range of $350 to $580 for the people who are in the age group of 20 to 30. And we also keep testing a lot of price ranges as well for this age group. And people who are 31 and above, there is a price of 980 rupees for one month. Majority of the people pay for one month, which is almost 98% of the people. And you mentioned that your gender ratio on the app is 80 to 20. Is that the same in terms of your paid subscribers as well? Or is that overall usage? Honestly speaking, it's the male users who pay on a dating app. We hardly find female users who actually pay for a subscription. So that percentage is going to be almost 0.001% or something. So the subscriptions are majorly driven by male users only. So let's start with the dating fatigue. Like, what's your take on it? What has your experience been for the users of Quackquack? And why do you think consumers are coming back while this deep dating fatigue is setting in? So obviously. See, I think uh, dating fatigue happens in multiple stages. The first stage is where you like thousands of profiles, you swipe right or you know, swipe left through a ton of profiles. And you haven't got a match and that makes you feel flustered. That's one way of, you know, having the dating fatigue. The second is you've had multiple conversations and it also happens that, you know, someone stops responding because your wavelength does not match or your vibes are not matching. Or what you wrote on your profile is very different from how you come out when you're chatting with someone. Also for the fact that, let's say, you're looking for something casual and the other person is looking for something serious or vice versa. And things don't work out. So that's also a reason for a dating fatigue. You should also understand that the dating fatigue is also you know, very common in relationships these days. Post-lockdown, we have seen a ton of divorce cases happening. And in general, our generation is seeing an influx of compatibility issues as well. So the point I'm trying to make is that you know we ourselves are setting the wrong expectations with respect to dating. We, you know, Photoshop, uh, photos these days to get more likes on dating apps. We enter the wrong information in bio and we don't communicate as to what we're looking for. And more importantly, people are getting impatient. They feel that the moment, you know, a profile is created and a match happens, they will immediately find the one they're looking for. I believe that dating takes time and that's the kind of communication we try to give to our users as well. And I think we have seen that when dating fatigue kicks in, a lot of people end up using multiple dating apps at a certain point of time. And then they also delete their profiles or deactivate their profiles. I think people then try alternate routes as well with respect to getting help from friends and family. 
and probably even going to matrimonial sites to find an arranged marriage or using matrimonial sites to find a date. And there are people who even, you know, go on a sabbatical and work on themselves. We also see people who delete their profiles, you know, three, four years back and they're again coming back and using the application. So yes, dating fatigue is real, but I think once we set the right expectations, things will be more clear to people and they will not be disappointed. Another thing that is happening from my research that I find is that more and more consumers, especially the younger millennials and the Gen Z, they're walking away from matrimonial websites, right? Now, the security and the safety part, right? I know a lot of my friends who have been on the apps and unsolicited pictures, abusive messages, inappropriate messages is almost like is an accepted form while using the apps. How do you guys tackle it? What are the things that you do to make sure that A, it does not happen again and B, user who has already experienced this feel safe and continue using the app? So this is something which I'm honestly proud to speak about is that when you compare a non-Indian dating app to a dating app like us, the safety on our platform is 100 times better than the non-Indian apps because mostly their moderation teams are not sitting in India and they don't know what kind of frauds or fake profiles or scams are happening in India and what kind of abusive messages are being sent. With respect to Quackquack, I think, as you said, if a person gets reported, so you'd be happy to know that on Quackquack, even before a user gets reported, these messages are flagged internally by the system and the users get warned even before these messages are sent. So that is the kind of checks and balances we have in place to make sure that an abusive message doesn't reach a female user. Just a simple example, we launched this proactive measure a couple of months back, wherein if a guy writes something abusive in their introduction, they will immediately see a warning even before the message is sent. So that helped us increase the number of chats by almost 40%. So the moment you provide a safe platform for everyone, the good things start to happen. And with respect to fake profiles and frauds, this is something I'm sure you must have heard your friends talk about as well. We have patterns in place. We understand who these people are, from where they're creating their profile, based on their IP addresses, based on the password pattern they use, the email addresses they use. So we use machine learning and AI to make sure that these profiles, the moment they are created, get suspended within seconds of the profile being created. So that's the level of safety we are trying to bring in for our users. And I would be happy if the non-Indian players also take part in this because they are the ones who are the torchbearers of a dating app. Clearly, dating apps need to strengthen the security measures in a more robust manner. According to a research done by Pew Research Center in 2020, Nearly 46% of U.S. citizens think online dating sites are unsafe, both in terms of uninvited, sexually explicit messages and scams. In addition to that, in February 2020, Federal Trade Commission, an independent agency of the U.S. government whose primary role is to enforce civil antitrust law and promote consumer protection, reported that financial losses due to romance increased to a whopping $304 million in 2020, up by 50% since 2019. And a lot of these cases started with people meeting on the online dating platforms. Reminds you of Tinder swindler Simon Laviv, right? 
However, sometimes it's not just the lack of feeling safety on these apps that make you stop using them. Our next guest stopped using these apps two years back. The dating fatigue resulted in making the whole process feel more like work than fun, as she puts it. Dating fatigue is not just defined by the large number of people a user gets stuck at in the initial stalking stage. While it starts from there, it gets compounded when one is going through the motions of becoming hopeful with every spark, only for the spark to fizzle out after a few texts and sometimes after the first date. Meghna Srinivas, founder of Trustin, a company that enables safe working environment, will share her experience with dating apps with us. While she has not given up on the idea of dating, her experience with dating apps and consequently dating fatigue has led her to take a break from the same. Let's ask Meghna how her experience was on these apps. I think my experience with the dating apps, I got on them fairly late. I spent a lot of my 20s chronically single, as my friends described me. And I think I stayed away from them for many years. But I saw a lot of my friends get into committed relationships in the golden era of dating apps between 2015 to about 17. So 2018 is when I got on them. Spent four frustrating years on them. And I think since last year, I haven't been on a single app. How were you picking these apps? Like what were your you know, thought process when you were deciding on, okay, maybe I should get on this app? So I think a lot of these apps, Bumble, Hinge, Coffee Meets, Bagel, it was more my friends recommending them to me. And also my friends had good experiences on these apps, right? Mm-hmm. Surf Coffee also, I don't remember how it came on my radar. I think a bunch of people recommended it to me. It was pretty pricey. I think they charge a 12K flat subscription for about three or four months. And they set you up with, I think, at least one or two matches every fortnight. So I think I didn't have such a great experience. I mean, I spoke to some people who were fairly promising on paper, but it never really panned out. So really, it was the same thing as dating apps, but for higher fee. So, you know, when you're using these apps and you're getting your matches, what were your initial conversations like on these apps? I think in my experience, it's really been that once you connect on the app, you need to get off the app as soon as possible. Right. So maybe phone calls, meeting for a coffee, even a video chat if you're in different cities, because I think otherwise it's very difficult to say that, okay, we have this spark, we have a few things in common. You know, it's very difficult to actually fan that into any kind of flame. I definitely think it got very emotionally exhausting for me to keep having these kind of very repetitive conversations. It's almost like at some point it was on my calendar, right? Like every day at the end of the day, half an hour slotted across just to sit and catch up with my matches. And then it just became too much. And that's sort of when I quit. Also, I remember, you know, when we did our story earlier in February that you had mentioned that you're no longer on matrimony apps as well. Now, before I go into that, I wanted to understand from you, what was your experience with matrimony apps and how long were you on them? Oh, that is a much longer and I think (laughs) even more perhaps tragic comics sort of story. I think my parents have put my profile on all this Shari.com, Bharat Matrimony, Elite Matrimony, Canada Matrimony. There are just so many of them, right? For almost 10 years now. And what I like about these, you know, matrimonial apps, if you go on Shari.com and stuff, they have this very clear disclaimer that this is not a dating app. Right. So they're very clear <laughs> what their purpose is. Yeah. Unlike dating apps, which that way they're quite confused about their purpose. And my parents have also paid monthly for all these add-on, you know, relationship managers in Bharat Matrimony, Elite Matrimony, a bunch of others. So that seems to be going strong. I don't dissuade them, but it also goes nowhere. So I don't engage with it directly. 
But yes, I would say that, you know, I've really not had a great experience with them, to be honest, because of the relationship managers. Uh, but otherwise, I honestly feel like, at least for me, matrimonial apps have been less stressful than the dating apps, mostly also because my parents are the ones running it. Could you elaborate a little bit when you say that why, I mean, I'm trying to understand why they have been less stressful as opposed to a dating app. Right. So I think one thing is matrimonial apps are a big business, right? In a country where weddings are a big business. So I think it always stressed me out that my parents were spending so much, but they also felt that they had no choice because they felt they had exhausted all these in-person marriage bureaus and family connections and things like that. And my parents kept telling them that, hey, our daughter is 5'9", so we definitely need somebody who's tall and we want somebody who's well-educated and ambitious. But we really don't care about, you know, things like cars and this whole traditional idea of like, oh, they have to come from a rich family, things like that. But for right. better or worse, I think these matrimonial apps, they have their own algo. And no matter what you tell your relationship managers, unfortunately, at least in our case, it did get disregarded. And there was one time that I got a little frustrated. They were not sending any matches. So I spoke to the relationship manager directly and she was extremely rude and condescending. She was like, it's not my fault you're not getting matches. And basically she was like, she outright insulted me where she's like, well, you're not slim enough. You're not fair enough. The usual, right? You're not young enough. At this point, I was 27. So I think I was very taken aback by that call. I definitely escalated it to her manager. And the next day I got an apology in my email. So I think things like this, I mean, I've told my parents, okay, if you want to continue going ahead, you do you, but I'm not doing any more of this because I really don't need this. But surprisingly, a lot of the matches that I found through matrimonial apps, I did have a better connection with them. I did have better conversations with them. So that was also interesting. I wanted to touch upon something you mentioned earlier that, you know, you used to take out a certain amount of time at the end of the day, half an hour every day to get back to your matches, right? Now, that sounds like a chore. <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. What made you keep coming back? And what, if we have to talk about dating apps, since we are on the subject matter, what did it feel like to you? I think one thing, yes, dating fatigue aside, these apps are built to be sticky, right? It's the whole variable rewards thing. You might meet people that you've never met before and would never meet otherwise, right? Even within all these communities you're a part of. So I think that intrigue factor is always there. I think I tend to be quite an eternal optimist. So the dating apps were no exception in that sense. I also think that the pandemic has significantly changed how we date. Like earlier, these words like talking phase or situationships didn't really exist because it wasn't until the pandemic that we were talking to multiple people. There was a long talking phase because of COVID caution and you couldn't meet. And then because you were talking to multiple people, I think a lot of the situationship conversation also started coming around. So I think definitely the pandemic, at least in my view, changed a lot of dating on dating apps for the worse. Because up until 2020, I did think that I met some interesting people. They were a few short-lived relationships and they broke off for compatibility reasons, right? Which is very fair. So I think that is one big thing. Uh, the second thing is, again, like going back to the apps, I think it's also, so I turned 33 last week. So there are a lot of my friends who are married, in the process of getting married. Many of them have kids and things like that. So this is definitely something that you start realizing in your early 30s that, hey, a lot of my friend group is too busy, is too engaged. Uh, you know, I can't really just take off on a vacation or a vacation anymore and have company. So you start feeling a lot of this existential loneliness also kick in. And for better or worse, at least for me, I feel a lot of this uh, biological pressure, like I know I would love to have kids someday, 
So what does that look like? Because I definitely am clear that I don't want to be a single parent, right? If I can help it. I'm already a solo founder. Uh, I'm a single child. I'm like, I would definitely like a partner who will be an equal partner in this phase of my life. So I think this is something where I realized I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to find the perfect romantic partner. So I think the dating apps felt like the easiest way to do it. Yes, I'll ask people to introduce me all of that, but that's going to take time. That's going to take a lot more network. So yeah, I think this is the big reason for me at least. What's your take on the dating culture now? Like, how do you think this is panning out? Now, Gen Z is a whole different ballgame, but as a millennial, how do you think this is shaping the dating culture? And uh, do you think dating fatigue will become like a permanent fixture of the dating culture? I think definitely now, at least in online discourse, what I see in my friend groups around the world, this is not even just like endemic to India or any of the collectivist cultures, right? Even the individualist cultures are struggling with it perhaps even more. I think, again, the problem with dating apps is whether or not people realize it, it is a push towards people productizing themselves, in which case you almost become like a caricature of yourself, right? It's always about taking photos in different situations. You're trying to curate your best self. You have to write the funniest bio and you are trying hard without appearing to try hard. Right. So all of these in and of themselves are very draining. I think also what we need to understand is that when dating apps were new and a lot of my friends who have found lasting love and relationships of the dating apps, they seem to have used the dating apps say in 2015, 2016, where it was very new and they didn't have perfect first dates, but it was very much that, OK, let's go on a second date and figure it out. Whereas now it is, okay, if I don't go on a perfect first date, I'm just going to get on Bumble and I'll swipe right and have a better, more perhaps promising conversation with somebody else. True. Right? I'm just going to cut my loss and move on. So I think there's a lot of pressure on people in that space as well to perform almost, right, on the first date. So I think that's not perhaps what's going to lead to psychological safety or the most long-lasting relationships. I think this is something that Bell Hooks talks really well about in All About Love, like how True love is much more transformational, whereas in our generation, we are viewing it as much more transactional. And it's never going to be about optimizing every feature, optimizing every interaction, right? That's just not how it is. So yeah, I think this productization piece is definitely what puts a lot of pressure on people. I could definitely feel that, like I felt my mental health, my self-esteem taking those hits because if there's rejection, say for, you know, school or college, you can just blame it on your grades. You can be like, oh, I didn't work that hard for that test. Right. If there's rejection at your job, you can be like, okay, fine. You can blame the market or layoffs. Everybody's getting laid off, whatever. There's a recession. But if there's a romantic rejection, there is just this, you know, you have to look at the shadow side of yourself and a lot of your insecurities come up and it just feels like you weren't enough. Right. So I think that's really what is so soul sucking about romantic rejection. And therefore, at least for me, I'm like, I'm too thin skinned and I can't just keep bouncing from first date to first date, pretending that, you know, I'm perfectly okay. I'm emotionally available all of those things. So that's really why for me, it made sense to just take my time, you know, explore slowly, mindfully. It's okay if it doesn't happen anytime soon, but I'm not going to become emotionally unavailable simply because I overstretch myself. Have you ever experienced any kind of untoward behavior after you have exchanged numbers with a potential partner? If you raised a complaint on the app where you met the person, were there any actions that were taken to rectify the situation? Sure, Shabori. I think this is a good question. Cities like Bangalore, you might be a lot more comfortable just meeting someone, maybe even going to their place after a first date, 
But perhaps it's not so in cities like Mumbai because you don't have your own space. Perhaps in cities like Delhi where perhaps you feel less safe. So I think it is interesting how this looks regionally. When I first started using the apps, I would always try to find a person in common, things like that. Earlier, I used to actually check in with them and be like, hey, can you tell me about this person? Uh, later, of course, I just didn't have the time. There were just so many matches and things like that. But if I find that Twitter profile, you know, overall, you just get a sense of the person and you're like, okay, this person seems safe. I definitely did have an experience, I think, in late 2018 where, you know, after a couple of dates, I told this person it's not going to work out. He actually showed up at my workspace, which was a co-working space. So thankfully, I could ask the security to ask him to leave. And what I do now when I unmatch with somebody or I decide not to pursue, you know, and then I tell them that, hey, this is not really working out, things like that. I do block them on all platforms simply because I don't want to open myself up to that kind of interaction again. I think it's also a great idea to use apps like Telegram, Signal, where you don't have to give your number straight away. Would you ever, you know, think about or even consider going back to a dating app? I don't think so, Shabori, because I think there's just so much emotional energy that goes into trying to find common ground with a complete stranger. And the thing about dating is it's very binary. It either works out or it doesn't. The National Statistics Office of India defines those in the age group of 15 to 29 years as the youth population. And out of this category of Indians, the percentage of people who are single increased to 23% in 2019 from 17% in 2011. Meghna is not alone. More and more consumers are giving up on the idea of finding their partner via an algo-based app whether it's a dating app or matrimonial website. In case you're wondering, the percentage of men who have never been married in that age group of 15 to 29 years has increased from 21% in 2011 to 26% in 2019. And for women, that has increased from 14% in 2011 to 20% in 2019. And if you're 30 plus and still single, well... Too bad. The government does not recognize you as a young person anymore. The fatigue is soul-crushing. The problem with dating apps as a business model is that all businesses are dependent on one thing primarily, repeat customers. If the customer keeps coming back, then you know you have a successful product. It's just that when it comes to dating apps, while the app might be successful in terms of repeat users, its end goal is not serving the purpose that it is supposed to. What makes a dating app successful as a business model is its stickiness. Over the lifetime of a consumer using the app, if the dating app has recovered the initial cost of acquiring that customer, which let's be honest is only possible by repeat usage, combined with longer duration of usage, then the dating app has cracked the code for generating revenue. Snehal Khanul, founder of Truly Madly, genuinely believes that while the dating fatigue is real, these apps are here to stay and are changing the dating game completely for Indian users. So when pandemic had started, now we saw two, three major shifts. One was that the time spent on the app increased by 20-ish percent. And not just that, it's just really good business. 
So for tier one, it is now fetching nineteen hundred rupees per year. Yes. And what is for tier two? So tier one nineteen forty six. Tier okay. two seventeen eighty one. Okay. Tier three fifteen ninety five. Okay. And NRI forty nine hundred twenty two. Fourteen nine hundred and twenty two. And companies spend a lot of money in the first few years to acquire those first few million users, and over time they recover that money. For the software applications, the company wants to make sure that its lifetime value for an acquired customer is higher than the cost of acquiring that customer. However, unlike most technology-driven industries, dating apps are dealing with very real, very raw human emotions. Heartbreaks, ghosting, genuine concern about one's safety are matters which go above and beyond dating fatigue. In terms of business model, dating apps have actually cracked the code. In terms of success, which defines the purpose of dating apps, success for the user is very different from the success of the app. Rejection cuts deep. But this is not a problem of just dating apps and dating fatigue. This is a problem of commoditizing love. There is no formula or algorithm which can explain why some people find their forever partners and why some don't. Human attraction is organic, and dating apps are merely a tool to meet potential partners. You have been listening to the morning brief brought to you by the Economic Times. A big thank you to our guests. A shout out to the team that helped put the episode together. Sound engineer Rajas Nayak, our producer Vinay Joshi, and executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anurban Choudhury, and Arjit Parman. Like and share the episode and follow us on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening in. 